it's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, May 22nd. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Tragedy struck this weekend. The California report highlights just how important steering clear of the state's waterways is until conditions calm and water temperatures rise. Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon premiered at the Cannes Film Festival over the weekend. National Native News has the latest on audience reactions and Osage Nation chief Jeffrey Standing Bear's response to the film. And KVMR's Felton Pruitt speaks with Nevada County's Agricultural Commissioner and recent National Wildlife Services Advisory Committee appointee, Chris Denise. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. With the state's massive snowpack still in the process of melting, officials have been warning people about the dangerous conditions on California's waterways. That was tragically evident this weekend when an eight-year-old girl drowned after being swept up in the fast-moving water in the Kings River in Fresno County. Her four-year-old brother is still missing. Lieutenant Brandon Purcell with the Fresno County Sheriff's Office tells CBS 47 in Fresno the tragedy could have been avoided. This is exactly why we tell people, stay out of the water. You know, this this really, you just have to use common sense. You should not have children anywhere near this water, under any circumstance. Purcell says the family was having an outing at the river yesterday afternoon when the children were swept away. The Fresno County Sheriff's Office closed the Kings and San Joaquin Rivers to recreational users back in March. In light of the concerns about snowmelt, Kern County officials have released new mapping that they hope will provide a better picture of potential flooding of the Kern River. Kern County Fire Chief Aaron Duncan says the maps they were using had to be replaced. The best way we can prepare our community is by giving them the information and the tools that they need. But there's a responsibility that comes with giving information. When you give information, it has to be accurate and it has to be precise. The 100-year maps that we saw from FEMA, they're just, they're just too broad brush for us. It's not good enough for our residents. The maps designate areas that could be at risk for flooding if river flows exceed a certain level. And they're expected to be updated in real time based on changing conditions. Chief Duncan says there are currently no evacuation warnings or orders in place. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple, in stores or delivered from HintWater.com. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. California's food banks are reporting alarming spikes in demand. That's according to the state's Association of Food Banks, which says the end of pandemic-era food benefits and record-high inflation is to blame. In April, the Sacramento Food Bank and its partners fed 281,000 people, almost double the amount it served before the pandemic. And with summer just around the corner, children will no longer be receiving free meals at school, so the need is expected to grow. Cap Radio's healthcare reporter Kate Wolf has the story. Good morning. For one family? 
Cars of all kinds are pulling into the Sacramento Food Bank distribution at Arcade Church in a neighborhood northeast of the city. Some have been waiting over an hour to pick up food. At the pop-up tent for walk-ups, Heidi Bergdahl and her service dog Opal, a Jack Russell Terrier with a pinch of chihuahua, approach the table on an electric scooter. Hi, Opal. <laughs> Bergdahl and Opal live half a mile away and come to the food bank a few times a month. Everybody knows her. They may not know my name, but they all know Opal's name. Before the pandemic, Bergdahl was receiving $23 a month in CalFresh benefits. That's the minimum amount for an individual. During the pandemic, the federal government began giving emergency supplements, and she started getting $260 a month. I stuck to my neighborhood store. I didn't have to go outside my local neighborhood. But now I'm probably going to have to start hitting grocery outlet, Walmart, you know, looking at all the deals and the prices. That's because the pandemic benefit has expired. And as of April, she's back down to $23. I'm on disability, so I'm on Social Security. So I'm on a fixed income, and it's not that great. And my rent just went up. So, <laughs> And the prices of everything have been going up. I mean, for instance, the green onions used to cost 69 cents a bunch. Now they're $1.69. Today, Bergdahl will pick up fish sticks, some produce, and a dry goods box. She says she's been stockpiling food, preparing for her benefits to drop. My freezer is full. Using that pandemic money, I have been buying meat. So my protein is set. Kevin Buffalino is with the food bank. He says in its 47-year history, the food bank has only fed this many people a handful of times. I would say we're, we're prepared and, and ready to be serving about 300,000 um, people every month. In the two hours this distribution site is open, he's expecting about 750 cars to come through. But not everyone who's hungry is going to the food bank. I'm not going to take a box away from the food bank. 69-year-old Tom McSpadden has type 2 diabetes. He saw his CalFresh benefits cut in half when the emergency money went away. Over the phone, he says the $124 he now gets doesn't go far. I'll go to the deli and I'll buy a pound of ham and uh, a loaf of bread and some cheese, and that's what I eat all week. He says he only buys on sale, and healthy food doesn't go on sale. The way I eat is going to come back and bite me at some point because this is not conducive to what a diabetic should eat. At the moment, he says he modifies his insulin levels to make it all work, but he knows his diet is unsustainable. Back at the distribution site, Buffalino says the food bank has done all it can to get more food to give out. You read a lot about the news is we're not in a recession, the economy's doing well, job market's strong, but we are truthfully on the ground seeing different things. Buffalino says food banks across the state recently met with legislators, lobbying to get more financial support for food banks assured in the state budget. Some at the Capitol have heard the call. Governor Gavin Newsom, in his recently revised budget proposal, allocated $60 million to food banks throughout the state to purchase and distribute California-grown food. For the California Report, I'm Kate Wolf. And finally, there's just one California team left in the NBA playoffs, and they're barely hanging on by a thread. The Lakers are down three games to zero against the Denver Nuggets. That means Los Angeles has to win the next four games in the series to advance, something that's never been done in NBA history. Lakers star Anthony Davis says it's important to take it one game at a time. We've always been a team to fight. We're resilient, and we're going to keep fighting until it's over. It's not over. 
Game 4 is tonight at Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles. And that's the California Report for Monday, May 22nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. The audience at Cannes Film Festival had strong reactions to Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon this past weekend. The movie tells the true tale of greed buoyed by the discovery of oil and the murder of dozens of Osage tribe members that followed suit. National Native News takes a look at Osage Nation Chief Jeffrey Standing Bear's response to the film, up next. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A new federal grant program has made up to $50 million available to tribes to support harvesting, processing, and packaging indigenous meats like salmon, moose, and caribou in Alaska. As KDLG's Izzy Ross reports, tribes across the country can now apply for the funding. Over the past two years, the federal government has worked with tribes to find ways to help support indigenous food gathering traditions. Julia Anelica with the U.S. Department of Agriculture says the result of that process was the Indigenous Animals Harvesting and Meat Processing Grant. It was really out of this consultation, especially as we were moving out of the pandemic and seeing the worries that a lot of tribes have uh, for food security and food sovereignty that informed this program. The grant is part of the USDA's Indigenous Food Sovereignty Initiative which began in 2021. The initiative works with organizations that serve tribes to get indigenous perspectives on how to improve federal food programs. The grant doesn't set limits on the amount of money tribes can apply for, but there are a few restrictions. Projects must involve indigenous animals and meat processing activities and can't be used to buy land, meat, or animals. Still, Anelica says, the program is designed with tribal governments in mind. There is just so much flexibility within this money. It can be something from like a four-wheeler to move animals to an entire distribution center. Uh, It really, really depends on what the tribe's needs are. Grants are available for tribes across the country. And Anelica says there's a good chance tribes in Alaska could tap into a large portion of what's available. The mid-July deadline is in the middle of summer fishing and harvesting already a busy time in Alaska. It's unfortunate that the window falls during this time frame from now until July 19th, but this could be the only time. So I really, really encourage everybody who can apply for this to do so. Anelica says anyone interested in applying should reach out with questions. I'm Izzy Ross. Killers of the Flower Moon premiered over the weekend at the Cannes Film Festival. The film's directed by Martin Scorsese, based on a best-selling book about the Osage Nation and oil. In the 1920s, after oil is found on Osage land, Osage people are killed and the FBI investigates. The Osage News reports at the end of the film premiere in France, there was a nine-minute standing ovation from the audience for the director and actors, which include Lily Gladstone, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Robert De Niro. During a press conference at the film festival, Chief of the Osage Nation, Jeffrey Standing Bear says, the tribe expressed they wanted to make sure they did not lose their voice in the story. Early on, I asked Mr. Scorsese, how are you going to approach the story? And he said, I'm going to tell a story about trust, 
trust on, between Molly and Ernest, trust between the outside world and the Osage, and a betrayal of those trusts, deep betrayal. And uh, my people uh, suffered greatly, and to this day, to this very day, uh, those effects are with us. But I can say, on behalf of the Osage, Marty Scorsese and his team have restored trust. Chief Standing Bear says Osage people were extras in the film and were behind the camera. They also made costumes, and the Osage language is featured in the film. Killers of the Flower Moon is scheduled to be released in theaters in October. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Support by Vision Maker Media, currently seeking two digital media specialists and a director of project productions and services. Information on required qualifications and how to apply at visionmakermedia.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. Officials warn it's still too cold to swim in Northern California rivers. It might feel as though we're repeating ourselves with news to stay out of California waterways, but consequences of taking discouraged dips in the state's rivers and lakes have turned deadly. The Placer County Sheriff's Office has announced that their coroner's unit found the body of 22-year-old Victor Nguyen at Rattlesnake Bar on Folsom Lake last Friday. Nguyen had been swept away into the American River at the confluence on April 29th. The Sheriff's Office continues its search for a second victim who was swept away at Yankee Gyms at the North Fork of the American River on Mother's Day. Despite the rising temperatures, Liz Bellis, Sacramento County Director of Regional Parks, says not to give in to temptation to go for a swim. The record Sierra snowpack is melting, causing fast and cold currents longer than even regulars are used to. Quote, the flows are so swift that the rafting companies along the river aren't renting out equipment this weekend. It's just too dangerous, says Bellis. There are also other hidden dangers to consider before entering the water. For example, Trinity River in Trinity and Humboldt counties and Clear Creek in Siskiyou and Shasta counties are controlled by dams. Quote, releases can quickly raise water levels and flow rates, catching swimmers off guard, says Reading Field Manager Jennifer Mata. Water flowing out of the Nimbus Dam into the American River is anticipated to be flowing six times higher than normal for the summer months. Not only are rivers flowing fast, the water is cold too. Quote, even though the air temperature feels really warm, the water is still running really cold and really fast from the snowmelt, says Katrina Hand, a National Weather Service meteorologist. Nevada County safety officials have started their own public awareness campaign titled Stay Out, Stay Alive. Nevada County's Office of Emergency Services says the South Yuba River has recently flowed up to 5,000 cubic feet per second. That's astonishingly high. During August and September, the river often flows below 50 cubic feet per second. The Yuba has already claimed one life this season. Last month, a 17-year-old experienced kayaker died while running the South Yuba River about a mile and a half from the Bridgeport Crossing. 
and with the constant change in river flow rate, Sergeant Kevin Griffiths from the Placer County Sheriff's Department reminds all residents, quote, where you were playing last year in this river is not the same place you'll be playing this year. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. Now let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. Today should be the hottest day this work week. High temperatures will drop from the low 80s today to the low 70s by Friday. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight increasing clouds with a low around 59. Tuesday starts out cloudy, then gradually becomes sunny with a high near 79 degrees. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 54. In Truckean Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 42 degrees. Tuesday, partly sunny with a high near 67. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 39 degrees. The flood watch remains in effect for the Truckee Tahoe region through this evening. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight increasing clouds with a low around 59 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 85. Tuesday night will be clear with a low around 54 degrees and gusts as high as 18 miles per hour. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Up ahead, KVMR's Felton Pruitt talks to Nevada County's Agricultural Commissioner, who has recently added another role to his list of responsibilities. Kristen Eyes was selected for a two-year term on the National Wildlife Services Advisory Committee. The committee selects individuals to represent interest groups ranging from academia to farming and livestock to state wildlife agencies. Denai says his appointment means rural foothill agricultural producers will truly have a voice at the federal level. We're talking with Chris Denise. He's the Nevada County Agricultural Commissioner and Sealer Weights and Measures. That's quite a title right there, Chris. Yeah, it's definitely a mouthful. And then also, you were just appointed to the Federal National Wildlife Services Advisory Committee. We'll get into that in just a minute, but let's dig into right now what you do for our county as the Nevada County Agricultural Commissioner and then also the Sealer for Weights and Measures. Let's start with the Agricultural Commissioner first. On the website, it says you're dedicated to sustaining a healthy agricultural industry while protecting the environment, the agricultural workforce, and the community. That sounds like a pretty heavy task. Yeah, so the Department of Agriculture here at the county, we're under the Community Development Agency umbrella. So we're here within CDA. And our role really from the ag perspective is to promote and protect agriculture, not only in Nevada County, but in California as a whole. We do that through a a variety of different programs. We are regulatory in nature. We do inspections, but, um, you know, we have a really good relationship with our industry, with our agriculture industry. And so we really bring our regulatory approach as an educational rather than enforcement. We we like to educate our folks on on the rules and regulations that they need to follow uh, that are set in state law and and regulations. So, you know, a lot of our main programs uh, that you'll see us out is, In Nevada County, we have the local authority when it comes to pesticide use in Nevada County, whether it being, you know, your house being fumigated for termites, uh, your traditional agriculture applications out in the vineyard potentially, or, um, you know, like your pest control businesses doing structural pest control on parking lots, on the, the side of your house, you know, anything like that where pesticides might be used. We have the authority uh, and the task of ensuring that pesticides are being used safely, ensuring that those applicators are trained or qualified, 
that they are taking in consideration the environmental conditions at the time the application is taking place, making sure that application is done safely and correctly. Do you work with the Nevada County Environmental Health Department on this? Yeah, so, you know, we do work with Nevada County Environmental Health when it comes to, like, storage. You know, they have their own hazardous waste or their own CUPA program where they look at different things. So we kind of, uh, we're parallel, but we don't look for the same things. Definitely work with them quite a bit on, on many different issues, not only pesticides, but when it comes to farmer's markets, we do inspections at farmer's markets as well. We actually go to the farmer's market, we see what the growers are selling, and we also follow up by going out to the actual production site and ensuring that they're growing what they're selling at those markets. And we do that through what we call a certified producer certificate. So we give uh, all those fruits and vegetable vendors at the farmer's market, we give them a, a certification that basically says, you know, they are growing what they're selling. I notice on your website you have a, a little place where you can ask you a question. Give the people your website. So our website is nevadacountyca.gov, and then from there you can search through our department through the department uh, drop-down menu and find our department there. Yeah. You know, as agriculture, we're listed toward the top, so pretty easy to find us. You know, we're a very small department compared to some other county departments here in Nevada County, so a lot of folks don't really know what we do. It's kind of our mission to try to get out there and, and kind of do a lot of outreach, explain, you know, what our purpose here in Nevada County is and all the programs that we do to support not only agriculture, but, you know, just our, our population here in Nevada County. You've been appointed to the Federal National Wildlife Services Advisory Committee. What does that entail? So it's a um, it's an unpaid appointment. It is basically, it's a committee that's comprised of 20 members across the United States. I was humbly the only one from California that was selected to serve on this committee. And really what the committee does, it provides policy direction, input to USDA Wildlife Services on their programs. It helps give them kind of a sense of where they should be going, a sense of things that they should be focusing on, on a federal scale. So quite an honor. You know, this is my first appointment to this committee, so not quite sure what to expect. We don't meet very often. We meet like once a year is my understanding. I think our first meeting will be in October. So, you know, again, just really excited to be able to collaborate with a lot of different stakeholders throughout the United States. You know, just kind of hear what the issues are, not only in, you know, western portion of the United States, but all across. And, you know, so it's just going to be a great opportunity to collaborate and learn from so many different people. How long is the appointment for? So the appointment is for two years. And then how long is your appointment uh, as Nevada County's Agricultural Commissioner? Under state law, the Ag Commissioner is appointed by the Board of Supervisors every four years. And how long are you into your service right now? I'm on my second term as Ag Commissioner, so I've been here for six years. Well, we certainly thank you for uh, taking public service to heart. And if people want to get in touch with you once again, I'll give them the website because I saw that nice little questionnaire box you have there on the website. Yeah, it's nevadacountyca.gov. And, you know, they reach us by you give us a phone call, email. We're very responsive and would love to talk with anybody that has questions about our department. What's the phone number if people wanted to call you? 530-470-2690. We've been talking with Chris Denise. He is Nevada County's Agricultural Commissioner, Sealer Weights and Measures. Uh, we thank you for your time and all the information. That's our newscast for Monday, May 22nd. 
KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. A huge thank you to everyone who helped make KVMR's best radio station in the known universe membership drive a success. It's thanks to your support that we continue to travel the space waves. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Have a great evening and join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.